That beings that this is Veterans Day on Sunday, wanted to emphasize that point to you. In the first video, it explained how we came about having this day, and I hope you got to see that. Maybe it's not as funny or as inspiring as other videos we look at. Maybe it doesn't seem to move toward inspiring us in our Christian life, but it does tell us the truth. That what you and I enjoy, we can tend to take for granted. And I, this week, many people said to me, you know, I didn't vote because it doesn't make a difference. Listen, these guys gave their lives, many of these men. And it's made a difference. I went into one store and, and the cashier was a young man. I want to guess 22 20 outspoken I was in a line and he'd speak to everybody and whenever it came to me God had it all set up he said hey did you vote today I said yes I did he said did it do you any good was it good for you I said sir it was good for my country because across this globe there are many people who get no opportunity to make any kind of say. And I don't want to lose that right. We have that right because folks have given their lives. People have served, some not given their lives in the sense of death, but given their lives for a number of years of service. I'd like to just see if we've got any veterans here. And so, I'm, I'm just going to call out a branch of service, and if you're from that branch of service, I'd just like for you to stand. Stay standing as other brothers and sisters in military might stand with you. We're, we're not that large of a congregation, so we may not have that many. But, uh, but uh, if, you, if you've served or have served, if you're a veteran or you are in service, Marine Corps, you stand. Okay? Well, don't, don't clap. We're going to clap for all of them a little bit. Ty, I appreciate you being here. Matter of fact, when Ty walked through, I said, you don't have any, mil any Marine paraphernalia on because I was looking for that, but Marines. Uh, uh, if you served in the Navy, would you stand? Or you're serving in the Navy, okay? Just remain standing, guys. It's, it's really an honor to be in your presence. Uh, if you served in the Air Force, would you stand or are serving in the Air Force? Okay. Uh, my branch of service was the army. If you served in the army, would you please stand? Okay, or are serving the army. Uh, Coast Guard is a branch of service if you've served in the Coast Guard. or I don't know if anybody would still be. Any other military branch that I may not have mentioned because there are others and we usually recognize just these. You stand now if you've served. Now folks, I think this is a time to give our applause. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Appreciate that. I was looking. I wanted to say you guys and gals, but we didn't have any gals yet. So, Listen, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, okay, the ninth chapter. Luke's in the back part of your Bible to the right uh, part of the Gospel series, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get back to Acts, Romans, books that seem to end in INS, you went too far. Luke, the ninth chapter. If you've got our New Testament, it's page 58 we're going to be looking at. 
And again, if you do not have a Bible to bring with you, I would encourage you to pick up one of the New Testaments on the table when you're leaving. If they're gone, there's some in that box right there behind them. Get one out of that box. But pick up one of those New Testaments and, and bring it back next week and be with us. We're looking through the Gospel of Luke. We're going just like lightning through it. I mean, a race car couldn't keep up with us as fast as we're going. But uh, no, really, it's more like a turtle could pass us, okay? Um, but we are... I'm. You know, I keep telling myself I'm going to do large chunks of Scripture and then whenever I get into it, there's just so much that's in these verses because Luke is, is speaking to people and much of what he's saying speaks to us who are his followers, but he's speaking to people about their relationship with God and with Him. And we live in a world where a lot of people say they have a relationship with God. Matter of fact, there are people. Uh, my life from a young adult to now older adult. I've heard people say all religions are, are after the same thing. And folks, I want to tell you, they're not. Christianity stands out as unique. There is no other religion that teaches that God stepped out of heaven, listen, became a man, He died on a cross, gave His life for us, all other religions teach that you and I, if we're going to relate to God, we have to earn it, we have to achieve it. But God came, died on the cross for us, because of our sin, we could not earn a relationship with God. And so through His death, His blood being shed on the cross, and, and, and when I was in the university, that was called bloody religion, gruesome. And we want, we want to just try to denounce God and we want to honor what Satan would say. But God came from heaven as a man, walked on this earth as the person Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. And he went to the cross. He faced ridicule and pain. Can you believe that? Our creator faced ridicule and pain. John, the first chapter says, not anything was created that Jesus wasn't involved in creating it. The Father, God the Father, is the first person of the Godhead. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. Two distinct individuals for all eternity celebrating together God's kingdom with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, or the Godhead. And yet, stepped out of heaven and died on the cross for us. Laid in the grave. Listen, this is what makes Christianity unique. It's unique in the sense that a God would step out of His kingdom and He would come for those He created who had turned against Him. And you know how that is because you and I turn against Him. And give His life. Never in any other religion does a God do that. Laid in the grave and then rose from the dead. There's not one religion that teaches the resurrection from the dead of the one who died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Makes Christianity unique. And yet, some of you still accept the lie that Satan says, all religions are the same. There's none to teach that. Not one. If you know one, if you find one on the internet, then you come and you talk to me. You share with that. Correct me. Correct me. Let you and I sit down and talk about that. And yet there are, there are throughout this world today, people who are saying they've got the answer and what God wants. And I'm going to tell you, the difference is always what they think about Jesus. 
For we believe Jesus was God, stepped out of heaven to earth as the Son, the second person of the Godhead. That he died on the cross for us, laid in the grave, and rose from the dead. And now is living with the Father, and one day is coming back for us. Listen, that's what we as Christians believe. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was not God. See, Jehovah Witnesses believe that he was the archangel Michael that's mentioned in the Bible that came to this earth as a man. So they don't believe Jesus was God. And I'm not trying to put them down. I'm just telling you, the religions of America and this world, and those religions of the world are coming to America. And I'm going to call attention to the ones that I think are impacting our university students and impacting the people of America, especially the young people. They don't see Jesus as the Bible teaches it, as Luke shows it to us. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was a spirit child. Listen, all of us are spirit child. That's their doctrine. That Jesus was just a spirit child born to Elohim and became one of many gods. That's what Mormonism believes about Jesus. Not what Luke tells us. Not what the Bible tells us. That's what Mormonism teaches. Unitarian Universalists say that Jesus was not God. He was just a great man. That's all he was. A great man we ought to respect. The Baha'i faith says that Jesus was not God. He was a manifestation of God. We could get an ideal about God by looking at Jesus, but that Jesus was just a prophet. Inferior, listen, the Baha'i faith teaches, inferior to Muhammad and inferior to Baha, Baha'u'llah. That's one of their highest prophets. That's what the Baha'i faith believes. Buddhism believes that Jesus was just an enlightened man, not God. Islam teaches that Jesus was merely a man who was a great prophet, but inferior to Muhammad. Folks, the world has many ideas. And they never normally leave Jesus out because they know so many people have heard of him. But they don't believe in Jesus as God who stepped out of heaven as the Son, the second person of Godhead. God, who came to creation, you and I, and gave himself for us. I just believe he's a great teacher, so respect him. Pay attention to what he says. I'm telling you, when I teach the scriptures, I'm not asking you to pay attention to him because he's just a great teacher. I'm asking you to pay attention to him because he is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. I'm asking you to pay attention to him because your entire life, if you're going to find life, is dependent upon your relationship with him. Look on your message map. There's a page on your message map with blanks. Find that page, if you would, the handout you got. Look at that first blank there. Fill in those two blanks there. I wrote down, if a person, if a person is to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus, they must know, they must know what they believe about Jesus. See, if you don't know that, listen, these other teachings will just sort of pull you in. And I've tried to tell you the main ones that are, are really infiltrating America today. They'll try to pull you in. It's important. You must know what you believe about Jesus. They must know if Jesus is the Lord, the one to follow. 
All of an in, I believe this, all of an individual's growth as a Christian comes from knowing that Jesus is the one that follows. That's why you've probably went to church before. You've gave it a try. But you know, it just doesn't stick. You might have tried for three or four weeks or three or four months or three or four years, but it just doesn't seem to help. Because you see, you've got to know something about Jesus. And you've got to believe something about Jesus. You've got to lock in. Because your growth comes from knowing that He is the Lord. He is the one we are to follow. And today as we look at Luke, we're going to see that He shares with us some things about who Jesus is. Now let me say, because there's some people here who haven't been here when I started this series. I'm looking at the Gospel of Luke because Luke... Now listen... Luke was written just 29 years after Jesus. Luke is a writing of antiquity. Compared to other writing antiquities, listen, listen. In human history, information that was written by humans that we teach in our universities and in our public school system is three, four, five hundred years after the person or the event. Luke's writing is only 29 years after Jesus lived. Today people tell you, how can you believe in Christ? That's 2,000 years ago. We have to read the people who lived during that time or who talk to people who lived during that time. That's how we teach human history. And we will teach human history with less validation about an event or a character history. And believe it. And then when it comes to Jesus, we say... It's just not working for me. That's because you got to know who he is. You got to learn who he is. And Luke, today, in the passage we're going to look at, is going to call attention to whom people who walked with Jesus told him Jesus did and what their reaction and relationship to him was. But before we do, I want to lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for this book, Luke. Thank you that, that people who study the validity of, of writings of antiquity before we had printing presses and copiers have validated that this book historically can be identified when it was written and by whom it was written. And thank you that we have it to look at. And God, help us today. Help us to see its truth and understand who Jesus is. Father, may your Spirit just be in charge of our minds during this time. And may your Spirit speak through my mouth that, God, we would understand from these words what it is we need to know for our lives. Speak to each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So look there, the ninth chapter, look at the 18th verse. The 18th verse, one day Jesus left the crowd to pray alone. Let me stop again because I want to call attention to this every time. Jesus' life was always interrupted and disrupted by people who needed something. You and I are looking for life that doesn't get interrupted or disrupted. We want everything to go smooth. I'm going to tell you, if you know Jesus and He is making a difference in your life and you learn about Him and you share it with others, they will begin interrupting and disrupting your life because people need help. 
And for Jesus, when he was living, they saw he could help and they were always coming to him. But one thing we've learned from his life is there's times you have to pull away because you have to have restoration. Restoration isn't so that then you give up doing something and you just coast. Restoration is so you come back. You come back. Letting God use you as you live and love like Jesus to impact the lives of others. Some of you are so needy because you see you keep acting like a kid. You refuse to process and to the believer, strong in faith. <clears throat> in the book of Hebrews, the writer got on the believers because he says, some of you are still just eating elementary teachings and you need to move on. It's like some of you are still living as if you're in elementary school. You can't control yourself. You can't control your appetite. You can't control your decisions. It's like you're still eight and nine. That's what he's telling us. And so here... Jesus gets alone to pray because something's going to take place. Look what it says. Only his disciples were with him. He's away from the crowd and he's got his disciples. You know what we're going to see? Now I want to interject something because we have small group. If you looked on your message map, they're meeting tonight. Some of you need to go to a small group because the subject is forgive one another. Some of you hate your dad. He's abandoned you. Some of you hate your mom because she didn't defend you when another adult abused you. Some of you hate the person you're working with or the person that fired you. Some of you hate and you can put the name there and you need to go to small group. And what we're going to see here is how Jesus handles small group learning. We can see what He does. He asks questions. You know why Jesus asks questions in small group learning? He's just with the disciples. He's not with the crowd because Jesus wants these disciples to use their brains. Jesus wants these disciples to learn to use their ability to observe and evaluate. And you're going to see that in a little bit. I'm not making this up. Some of you said, boy, he's got, he's got a purpose here. He just wants us all in connect groups. No. I want you to see the way we do connect group and trying to get people to get involved in discussion is the way Jesus did it. Jesus talked a lot. Every leader of every group has to talk. But Jesus tries to get his followers to use their brains to observe what's going on, to evaluate, to come to some kind of conclusion. Listen, God gave you a break. Listen to me, young person. God gave you a break. If you ever go to a church that tells you to shut off your brain, stop going to that church. God gave you a brain and he wants you to use it. And we're going to see Jesus is going to challenge these people to use their brain. So notice how he conducts this small group experience apart from the crowd, just with his disciples. Look at verse 18, it goes on. Who do people say I am? He asked a question. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are the one, you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Now let me stop for a minute. We've already seen this. See, Jesus is asking them, you're walking in the world. How does the world look at me? Let me stop. Some of you people, you walk in the world. How do, the, how do your friends see Jesus? Are they still in bed this morning? How do your friends see serving Jesus? They just serve themselves? Look, Jesus is asking them a question. Who do people say I am? Because we've already learned. If you go back to verse 7 and 8, Herod asked that question. Herod said, who is this Jesus? And the people around him said, just what they said. John the Baptist, Elijah back from the dead, one of the prophets back from the dead. See, they're just, listen, listen, they're regurgitating 
what they've heard the culture say about Jesus. I want you to understand that. Because you see, when the culture doesn't want to believe in Jesus, they start coming to conclusions, and we hear that, and all of a sudden, if we're 15, 16, and 17, we start believing what the culture is saying about Jesus. We don't check it out. We just say, they wouldn't lie to us. They wouldn't lie to us. Listen, I'm a history major in college. I'm a history major. That's my degree. Political science, law, minor. Chairman of the history department in a state university. I'm not in a Bible college. I'm in a state university. I just got out of the military. And the chairman of the history department is teaching. And he makes a statement. He says, listen, I want you people to know it was that part of our history that during the time of the Roman rule, Christians were never fed to wild animals. Christians were never set on fire on stakes. Now that's what the chair in the history department said. Now folks, I'm about 23, 24 at this time, but there's a lot of 17, 18, and 19 year olds in college in this class. So you know what? They come to a service like this and they hear some preacher stand up and say, when it's appropriate in the service, Christians were fed to wild animals because of their faith in Jesus. They wouldn't call Caesar Lord. They called Jesus Lord in the Roman Empire. We can study history. If the Roman government required it once a year, you were to declare Caesar's Lord. Christians became believers. They didn't declare that. They said Jesus is Lord. And Christians, Christians were, were set on stakes along roads and doused with a fluid and set on fire. Now we know that is historically proven. And yet the chairman of the history department in a state university stood up in class. You know what's going to happen when those 17, 18, and 19 year olds become 37, 38, and 39 they come to a place like this and a preacher says that happened? What are they going to say about that preacher? They're going to say, that preacher doesn't know the truth. Man, I've, I've been educated. I'm a history major. Chair of my history department said that never happened. Now look, my history professor said that. I couldn't prove it. I couldn't disprove what he said. But now I've studied further. That's why I hang on to historical things that happen in Christianity. Because this world and internet tells you things that aren't even true. But there are people who never check it out. And they'll say the preacher don't know. The history chairman does. But he wasn't telling the truth. Now I got on there by saying this. The culture tells us things that aren't true. The culture here was saying, you know who this Jesus is? Jesus is, is maybe John the Baptist. Jesus is, maybe Elijah, you know, he's a great prophet. Maybe one of the ancient prophets come back from the dead. And Jesus' followers who have been walking with him and listening to him, what do they say when they say, who do people say I am? They're saying, this is what the culture is saying about you, Jesus. This is what the culture is saying about you. 2,000 years ago, the crowd saw Jesus as something special. He just wasn't ordinary. You and I don't know that. See, we're 2,000 years removed. I challenge you, I challenge you to read the Gospel of John. Because it really talks about the character of Jesus. Read the Gospel of John through once. Just don't worry about things you say that's hard to believe. Just meet the man. And then read it through again slowly. Don't read it to get through it real fast. Meet the man. You see, the people of his day knew he wasn't ordinary. And so what they try to do? Man, he, he, he's from God somehow. Maybe he's just a prophet who rose from the dead. They were trying to explain this, which they could not explain, because you cannot explain Jesus until you get to know Jesus. That's why that first blank you filled, I said, a, per, a Christian's growth 
It's all based on getting to know Jesus is Lord. He's the one that follows. Look, verse 20 says, And then he asked them. Here's how he leads small groups. He questions. That's how Jesus does it. Oh, I don't want questions. I want to go to a lecture all the time. That's not how Jesus led small group. Large group, a lot of lecture. A lot of illustration. A lot of stories. Small group, a lot of questions. And then he asked him, and I would ask you to circle the next seven words in your Bible. Now for you who've been following me, you will see later, you'll read Luke again, and the words you underline and circle, they'll have more impact into your life. Because we tend to read the Gospels through. We read the Bible through real quick. And these things don't impact us. And we say, you know, I know it. I read it. We don't know it. And so circle the next seven words that say, but who do you say I am? See, that's the important question to you and I. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what Jesus told them. Okay, you've told me what you know the culture is saying about me. You know what the world around you is saying about me. Now, you've got to move from what others are saying to a personal experience. Who do you say I am? Well, Jesus is just a good guy. Jesus is a guy we ought to study. He has some good teachings. Listen, if Jesus is not the Son of God, the Messiah, folks. He's a liar. And you don't call liars good people. He's a liar. Jesus said, no one can come to God but through me. I'm the only way. He didn't say, I'm one way. He says, I'm the only way. Folks, if he's not the only way, he's a liar. See, we've got to understand that. You've got to understand. So he says, who do... You say I am. There always comes a time when each one of us has to decide. And you know when that comes normally? Is when the temptation comes to our life. When the struggle comes into our life. When we want to do what we shouldn't be doing. That's when we've got to decide. Who's Lord? Who am I going to follow? Me? Or Jesus? In a few weeks, Jesus is going to get into that about who's God of your life. See, that's what we've got to answer. Now, look at Peter. Peter always speaks up. I've said that to you before. Peter replied. Peter's that kind in the group you got when you ask questions. They always got to talk first. Listen, if you're in my group and you're that way, I'd practice more in business. You say, you know what? Why don't you let somebody else talk first? See, Peter always got to talk first. Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Peter recognized who Jesus was. Peter says, I want you to know you're the Messiah. Now, to a Jew, that meant you're the king from God. You're the king. You're the ruler. You're the one in charge. You're the one we're to pay attention to. Matter of fact, in Matthew 16, 17, it says that Jesus said to Peter, Luke didn't write it down, but Matthew wrote it down because Matt wrote, Matthew wrote to Jewish people, okay? And he wanted them to understand Jesus from a Jewish perspective. Matthew has written down that Jesus said to Peter, you know, Peter, God revealed that to you. That's not of your own making. Gosh, I could preach a sermon on that. See, what some of us are doing, we're waiting until I can absolutely convince myself I shouldn't do this anymore, and so I'll follow Jesus. He said, listen, that's not from you, Peter. That's from God. That's from God. God is helping you understand who I am. You know what's interesting? Now pay attention. Reading Luke, only Luke, this is the first time, this is the first time that someone has identified Jesus as the Messiah, the one from God, except 
when in the third chapter the demons recognized him. The demons! Because they know, they know who he is. And here is Peter saying this. Now look, he goes on in verse 23. Jesus, or, or, or I'm sorry, yeah. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Now, now let me stop for a minute. Here you go. Jesus and Peter together. And, and Jesus says, hey Peter, or hey guys, who, does, who, who, do, who do people say I am? And they give the cultural answers. And then he says, who do you say I am? Peter speaks up. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he says, hey, good answer, Peter. <laughs> That's a good answer. Now I want to ask you, how do you think Peter felt when he said, good answer, Peter? Okay, hey, hey stick with me. A little bit later. He's got to correct Peter. You see, sometimes we have good answers, sometimes we don't have good answers. But good answer. And then, listen, how do you think Peter felt? How, what do you think happened inside him when Jesus says, you know what, Peter? God made you realize that. Whoa, good answer. God made us realize that. And then Jesus says, now don't tell anybody. What? I just gave a good answer? And you say it comes from God? And now you tell us, don't tell anybody? Can you imagine now the confusion? And sometimes I get that way. That's why it's important in my quiet time with God, I just listen. Because I get confused. God, I'm, I'm confused. Why do I have to say to Laura, I love you, whenever she ought to first say, I'm sorry? God says, because that's a good answer. Go say, I love you. God, I don't understand. Why should I forgive this person over here or over here when they wronged me and they haven't said anything to me about they're sorry they wronged me? God says, because it's a good answer for you to forgive them. Can you imagine confusion in Peter? Good answer, Peter. You're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. That's right. God, God told you this, Peter. You didn't come up with this yourself. But don't tell anybody. Why? Because folks, listen. See, this is, where, this is where we only read one question and then we don't look at the whole picture. The whole picture is the Jews are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah to rule the world, to throw the Romans off their back because they're oppressed from the Romans. So why doesn't Jesus want them to tell them? Because the Jews would automatically seize him and begin declaring to everybody he's the Messiah. This is our king. This is our king. Now I want to ask you if you, if you just, a group of us just took one person and said this is the king of America and we backed him with our forces and everything would we probably have to face the National Guard or the, or the reserves or the army? Yeah, you know we would. You see, Jesus is on his timetable. He isn't on a human timetable. The Bible says God sent Jesus according to the right time. And if this gets out in a sense that Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Messiah, the Jews would seize him and there would be a political conflict. And you know what? The Jews would love that because they would like to draw Jesus into, listen, Christians, be careful today, they would like to draw him into the political process. You see, there's people today who say, you know, if Christians don't talk about we've got to take America back, then I don't know if I want to honor those Christians. They would want to draw Jesus into the political process with the government. Jesus isn't a political Messiah. I'm sorry. God's in charge. We sang songs. If He's in charge of your life, you're okay. If a country will honor Him, the country's okay. But you know what? If a lot of us will honor Him, our country will be okay. 
See, Jesus isn't going to be drawn into a political process. And it's hard. I'm telling you, he's a pastor. It's hard sometimes. Because I have people who speak quite boldly with me. And they want to draw me in to a political process. You see, Jesus, is, it's not the time for that. Because once, once the Jews would recognize him as Messiah, listen, those who don't believe in him is going to say, it's blasphemy and they're going to want to kill him. You're going to see that. And those who, who will believe in him will want him then to become politically involved and throw the Republicans out of office or the Democrats out of office. Or what it would be, they'd want to throw Caesar out of office. Now some of you say, oh, I don't know if I believe that. Look on the screen. Look at John, what John tells us about this time. Sixth chapter. Look what John says. When people saw him do this miraculous sign, that's the feeding of the multitude. That's what we just had last week. When Jesus, when, when people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. In other words, he's the one from God we're looking for. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. In verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, in other words, do it our way. We want to get a king in charge. We want an army like David had. And we want to throw these Romans off. And us Christians want to be running the world. What did he do? He slipped away into the hills by himself. See, he refused to be a part of that. I'm going to tell you, as a Christian, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Because pretty soon all you'll be concerned about is human power and not God's power. And you'll be concerned about following the human commentators, the voices of America, and not the voice of God through Jesus. Well, look at verse 22. Look what Jesus says about himself. The Son of Man. Because here they're, they're saying, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And he says, now don't go tell anybody, okay? The Son of Man, that's Jesus. That's, that was Jesus' turn for himself. I'll get on that again down the road. I told you. That comes out of Daniel. People like to study prophecy. Daniel 7th chapter. In Daniel's prophecy about end times, says there's going to be one come like the Son of Man. He's been eternal. He's from the ancient of days. In other words, he always existed. And he's going to come. Jesus, the title Jesus gave himself, was not Christ, not Messiah, Son of Man. Now why? Because you see, when we read the Gospels, we understand people were to follow Jesus because of what they heard and what they saw in Him. See? And He called Himself the Son of Man. That's a, that way, anybody who wanted to know the truth just had to read God's Word, Old Testament. They didn't have New Testament. And they could see, Aha! Prophecy! Jesus is the Son of Man. Daniel 7. You can find that. So he says, the Son of Man himself must suffer many terrible things, he said. Look, Jesus is saying this. I'm not the conquering Messiah. You got a picture of a king that's going to come and throw the Romans off of their power? That's not me yet. I'm not the conquering Messiah yet. He says, I'm going to be a suffering. I will be a conquering king. He will tell them. You'll see that. He'll say, I'm going to be a conquering king when I return. But I'm not the conquering king now. I'm going to be a Messiah that's going to have to suffer. I'm a Messiah who will die. See, he's telling them to understand this because, folks, he wants them to remember this. He doesn't want them to be surprised later when they see him hang on a cross and buried in a grave. Now, remember, I've told you the beginning of faith throughout Luke, I've pointed out the scriptures. When Jesus says something, I said, the beginning of faith is not forgetting what Jesus said. 
See, that's where our faith struggles. We forget what he says. And so Jesus is telling them so they wouldn't forget it. Well, eventually when he dies, they will forget it. Because when he lays in the grave three days, nobody's looking for him in three days to be alive. See, they forget what he says. But he tells them, look, I will suffer terrible things. It goes on 22. I or he, the son of man, that's him, that's Jesus, will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Now this is important for them because you know what? The elders, the teachers of religious law, they all were trying to help people know God, they said. And Jesus is saying the very people who say they love God will be the people who will lead in my suffering. The very people who are saying we just want to help the world are the people who will reject me. Now I'm going to tell you, I already told you, some of the views of Jesus in this world, those people would tell you not to believe Jesus is God who came to earth, the creator who came to earth. Those people would tell you, don't believe that through his death on the cross it has any impact in your life. Those people would tell you there's no way he rose from the dead. See, Jesus is saying, the very people are saying, hey, we love God and we're just trying to help you know God better they're going to be the ones that lead out in his rejection and folks it's the same today we got to be careful the Bible says we always got to test the spirits to see if they're true now somebody says how do you know if they're true just come and ask me and I'll tell you oh nobody thought that's humorous we got to we got to study the word so we got to compare it to what God says that's what we got to do. That's why Mike Davis spends so much time looking at the Word, trying to get you to see these things. But we got to test what we hear in this world about God. Now he goes on, 22. He will be killed. He will be killed. Now underline the next 12 words. They are extremely important. Look what he says. But on the third day, He will raise be raised from the dead. I, why is that important? You need to have that underlined. Because you see, there's people who say Jesus never said he was the Messiah. When he said he's the Son of God, he says, I'm the guy who fulfills Daniel's prophecy. Every Jew should have been looking for the guy who's going to fulfill Daniel's prophecy. And Jesus says, and I'm going to suffer and die. But I want you to know, in three days after my death, I'm going to be victorious. He hadn't died yet, folks. He's not even near the cross. Though I will say this, from this point on, well I told you that last week, Jesus starts talking about he's going to die. He starts moving toward Jerusalem. He's going to die. But you see he's telling them, I will raise from the dead. They forget that. When we get to that point, you'll see nobody's out there trying to move that stone to see if he's still in the tomb. There will be ladies to go there because they, they want to anoint the body with perfume because you know they didn't do it the way we did and bodies started smelling and they didn't want Jesus to sneak up the place. So they weren't even looking for a risen Lord. They said he was dead. He's going to start stinking, rotten. And Jesus said, I will rise from the dead. Now why does he tell them that? Because here's what the world would say. If Jesus hadn't told us beforehand, and he rose from the dead, see, it would be like, oh yeah, okay, this happened to Jesus, and so he rose from the dead. No, he's saying, I don't want you surprised. I don't want you saying, oh, he just made this up. I want you to realize before it happens, that I'm telling you it's going to happen. Folks, there is so much prophetic statements in the Bible about Jesus that Nobody else in human history fulfills it. There's not enough time to talk about it. See, Jesus is telling them, because it's going to be a matter of months for them. And they're going to see him get killed. If they'll remember, he says it's going to happen. 
If they would have remembered, they'd been looking for him to raise from the dead. When he came back from the dead, it wasn't as if it should be a surprise. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. No, you said this was going to happen. He didn't want them to forget what he said. Now look, he goes on in 23. Then he said to the crowd, next 11 words, I'd underline, so that when you read this two years from now, this part will stand out. Next 11 words. He said to the crowd, okay, if any of you want to be my followers, you must. And this is the line that part. And then the rest of it you just got to remember. But, but he says you must. Not an option. Not an op- For some reason now, there's a crowd of people coming around. And so Jesus directs us now away from just his disciples. He directs it to all people. He says, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, you must. It's not an option. So I'm going to tell you, there's people today who say, I'm a Christian. I'm going to die and go to heaven. Listen, God will never confuse you. You know you're not. God's Spirit will tell you, listen, you're not going to heaven. Some human may tell you, you're going to heaven. But you know. See? You don't have time for Jesus. You don't have time for what he wants. So he says, you're trying to make me feel guilty? Is that what Jesus is trying to make them feel guilty? He's speaking truth. He says, you must. Look what he says. Turn from your selfish ways. Now, what are your selfish ways? Selfish ways. Here's selfish ways. You know what? I'm going to do with my time what I want to do with my time. I'm going to do with my money what I want to do with my money. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to be with who I want to go be with. You see, you know your selfish ways. You know your selfish ways. There's many people who started out for church today, and then they stopped. See? Their selfish ways. They didn't stop because family had a need or because they had to go do ministry. Their selfish ways took over. They started planning some time ago. You've got to evaluate. Selfish ways, he says. He goes on. He says, take up your cross daily. Now, I want you to understand something. You and I can understand that. They couldn't understand that. That's what we've got to read here. They could not understand, take up your cross daily. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. Look, history tells us 30 to 50,000 Jews were most likely crucified by the Roman government. That's not a religious statement. That comes out of human history. 30 to 50,000 Jews were crucified on a cross. It, it, to be crucified on a cross was not something that was good. It was something that was bad. Doesn't that make sense? Duh. Somebody thinks it would be good? I'll tell you, we'll get a cross, we'll drive a few nails. We won't let you die, but we'll just put a few nails through you. Sounds good? You see, they can't understand take up your cross daily yet. The cross is a hardship. You see, the cross is suffering. When he says, take up your cross daily, he means, you're going to, if you're my follower, you're going to hit some hardship in following me. You're going to hit some suffering. To take up the cross is to be rejected by people that they would put you on a cross. That's what he's saying. I've learned, since I was a boy, I heard Christians say, this is my cross. They found out they had a cancer or they had a sickness. They said, this is my cross. No, a cross is something you move to. I don't think anybody wants to move toward cancer or sickness. See, he's saying, if you want to be my follower, you must. You must turn from your selfish ways. I'm going to tell you, I have to struggle with that every moment of every day. And so do you. And you know what? I'm not telling you sometimes your selfish way doesn't win. But you know you're a child of God. And push to shove. 
you move away from the selfish ways at times. And you take up your cross. You face the rejection other people may have for you or the hardship that comes because you're following Jesus. Listen, suffering, rejection, and dying on a cross to them was not a good thing. It would have been like saying, I don't want athlete's foot. You know, top ten list. I don't want athlete's foot and I don't want migraine headaches. Nobody wants those things. Nobody wants to go to a cross when Jesus said this. You and I can understand it because we got hindsight. We realize going to that cross was the greatest thing God ever did for us. I don't understand it totally, neither do you. Except when I read the Old Testament, I understand about the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. And I see the Lamb, the pure Lamb that was shed His blood for me. And I begin to understand this. And look, he says in 21, he says, And follow me. In other words, be like Jesus, live and love like Jesus. This is the clear picture of the Christian life. Somebody says, how do I know I'm living for God? Well, I guess if you could quote 20 verses of the Bible, if you could say you read the Bible through four times, I guess if you said you got these 35 pins of no missing coming to church, Jesus doesn't say any of that, does he? He says, you want to know how? You want to know how? First of all, you realize there's a struggle between your selfishness and what God wants. You see, we know that as believers. And you know, there comes times you take up the cross. You simply face a hardship because you're following me. That's what it is. You follow me. See? And for these twelve, listen, it's going to be literal death. They're going to die following Jesus. You and I don't die physically yet. But we do die to some things physically. Sometimes I just want to argue with Laura. I just, I just want to let her happen. Sometimes I do. I hate it. I have to tell God I'm sorry and tell Laura I'm sorry. But there's a lot of times God says, Now Mike, let's just put those words away. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. Can you imagine the Creator telling the creature, Creator, you don't understand? Sometimes I have to die to a desire, a character trait I learned whenever I used to watch the wrong things and I used to do the wrong things. And boy, that pulling is so strong, especially whenever life gets tough, it gets strong. Because that's what I felt was comfortable some time ago. And I get pulled back. God says, you know what? You need to stay away from that. And folks, I'm telling you, I make sure we don't have those premium channels on the TV because I know how that will pull me. I'd be careful hanging around with people who will want me to give in to that kind of lifestyle. You see, I know the struggle, so do you. But the thing is, will you die to yourself? Will you not say, I can do it if I want to? No, I can't do it because I know who Jesus is. He's Lord and I want to follow Him. Look at the next blank on your message map. Today, look at the next blank. Today, most think of their relationship with Jesus primarily... Look what I wrote there. Primarily in terms for what's in it for themselves. I'll go to church if there's something I can get out of it. I'll help set up if there's something I can get out of it. I'll manage my money if there's something I can get out of it. I'll forgive people if there's something I can get out of it. I'll love people if there's something I can get out of it. I'll do a community loving. We're going to do a community loving next Saturday. I'll come and give away turkeys if there's something I can get out of it. See, most of us think in relationship with Jesus, primarily in terms of what's in it for themselves. Not in terms of what's in it What's in it regarding serving others as they live and love like Jesus? 
Jesus says you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross daily. And where do you go when you turn from your selfish ways? Don't sit there and fume. Where do you go when you turn from your selfish ways? Don't say, I'm so unhappy. Where do you go when you turn from your selfish ways? Follow Jesus. Where do you go when you take up your cross, when you face a hardship because you're trying to live for Jesus? You just don't sit there and be frustrated. You follow Jesus. That's what he tells us to do. Look at 24. He says, if you try to... Now look, I would circle the next five words. If you try to hang on to your life. And that's what we do. Especially when life gets hard. I'll try to hang on to it. You know what? I'm going to go play some video game. Man, I'm tired of being responsible for my parents. I'm tired of listening to my wife. I'm going to go out and get a drink. Or my husband. I'm going to go out and get a drink. See? He says, he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Now, I want to use that same thing I did with selfish. Hang on to your life. I can do what I want to do. Hang on to your life. Hang on to your life. I can handle my money the way I want to handle my money. Hang on to your life. Hang on to your life. I can go where I want to go. Hang on to your life. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you, the end result of all that is you're losing life. And you know what? There's a lot of people know they're losing. They just won't be honest with it. Listen, they don't believe what Jesus is saying. And some claim to be believers or are believers in their infancy. They just won't believe this. You will lose your life. Here's the sad thing. If you're a young adult and you're bringing sprouts into this world, I'm not talking about potato sprouts. Those sprouts grow up. And by the time they're 8, 9, and 10, they know what it means. Listen, they know what it means to turn from selfish ways for Jesus. They know what it means. Listen, to take up the cross daily. They know what it means to follow Him. But if you're going after your life, you lose it, and I'm going to tell you, you raise teenagers that no longer are hungry for it. And you raise young adults, unless God gets somebody else involved in their lives who are no longer hungry for it. Now don't boo-hoo and say, oh my goodness, I made a big mistake. Tell God you're sorry. Tell your children you're sorry. I mean, I've apologized to my children for my anger. Just be honest with them. And move to where God wants and let your example be what they can learn from. He says, look, he says, but if you, he goes on there in 24, but if you, next seven words I'd underline, because it contrasts, hang on to your life, but if you give up your life for my sake, instead of hang on, give up your life for whom? For my sake, for Jesus, not for Mike Davis, not for connection, for Jesus. If you give up your life for my sake, he says, you will save it. In other words, give up your life. My money belongs to Jesus. You're going to find life. My time belongs to Jesus. You're going to find life. Where I go is a matter of what Jesus would want me to go. You're going to find your life. You see, some of us keep putting Jesus in second priority and family first. And we keep saying, God, please change my family. Please change my family. God say, how can I change your family? I can't change you. And you know what? You're always fussing. You're always fussing about giving up yourself for Jesus' sake. And so you don't find life. I'm going to tell you, my life, unless I will just leave her alone, my life, is Laura. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to find that life with her. 
My life is my children. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to find that life. And they have to then begin moving on as adults that they make those choices. My life is, is influenced by my money. So I have to talk to God about spending my money. Where I go, what I do. Look, Laura and I, oh, I don't even need to tell you those things. You just got to make those choices for His sake, not for yours. Yeah, I'll tell you, we, we wanted to go to a play last night. See, Tom Sawyer. I wanted to go mainly because I wanted to support one of our own people who are working there. I think that's so great, volunteers. We heard about it Friday, and so we talked Saturday. Well, last weekend, we, we budget our money. We live on a budget. And we spent more than we should have last weekend. So when we talked about that and she checked into the price, it was too much money for us, for our budget. I have the money in the bank for the tickets, but it's too much money for our budget. And so we didn't go to the play. And one of you that I want to support come and said, Hey, I was looking for you last night. Broke my heart. But you see, we learned to be unselfish with ourselves. And we seek to lose our lives for His sake. Why? Because you see, Laura this morning gives 12% of our income to connection. I, am I trying to impress you? Listen, if, I'm try, if you think it's this, you don't know me. Why couldn't we take part of 12% and go buy our tickets? My kids are never little. So how come we can't? I never said, because we don't have enough money. I said, because we choose not to spend our money that way. When they were little, I didn't keep saying, because we prayed to God. As they got older, they knew it was because of our relationship with God. If you don't get that under control, man, your kids are going to grow up and they won't get it under control. You just are going to produce sprouts that are going to be just like you. See, Jesus is saying, if you will give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Shoot those ducks out of the sky, but don't make the ducks priority over Jesus. Go shopping, ladies, but don't make going to that shopping place a priority over Jesus. Enjoy this world that God created. Shame on anybody to tell us we can't enjoy it. But don't make the world a priority over Jesus. He says, for my sake, you just got, you'll know when those times come. You'll know when they come. And Jesus says, if you will, for my sake, you're going to find real life. Look, he says in 25, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? And I'm going to ask you, so you can go where you want, you can buy what you want, and you know, you want more than you can buy. Most people whose money belongs to them can't buy everything they want. So you can go where you want, you can buy what you want, and you can do what you want. And yet, you're falling apart. <laughs> You're falling apart, and so is your family, so is your world. And as long as you can keep going to the better place, you feel better because you forget it for a little bit. As long as you can go buy something, you forget it for a little bit, but it comes back, doesn't it? See, Jesus says, what, what is it if you gain everything this world is offering you, but you're lost, you're destroyed? What value is that? Look at the last blank on the message map. This is in light of this passage. Look what he said. Look what I wrote. We are being told that the followers of Jesus are not to use their lives on earth to please themselves. They should spend their lives serving God and others. And you're going to see that in a little few verses next week and the next week. Look, God wants you to be pleased. Savor, savor orange sherbet ice cream if you like it. Have it and eat it. Take a bite of a, of a, a fresh pear. 
eat, eat corn cob with the, with the butter all over it and salt on it, just running down your forearms. God created this world for us to enjoy. Don't get me wrong. But in this context, he says you've got to be careful of pleasing yourself over serving the Lord. And folks, we have those struggles. Man, I'm up here, I'm looking at some of you, and I'm so glad you're here. Because I know it would have been easier for you to stay home and stay in bed. I thank God for that. And I try to tell you if we talk, thank you for coming today. Somebody says, oh, that's just pastor talk. No. That's a man who hated to get up. And who didn't in the first few months of our marriage. When my wife would wake me up, even though I told her when I proposed to her, we'll always go to church and say, we don't have to go to church today. And I know. You got up. You came. Thank you. Thank you. See, you, you're sacrificing. And those are those small victories. Look, he says this in 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message. Now look, I've got to put this on here because it ties in with this. See, because he's talking about we're going to have to suffer. He's talking about we're going to have to give up ourselves for him. See, he says if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Jews of Jesus' day would be ashamed that their king would die on the cross. Matter of fact, remember when he was crucified? Remember? Pilate put on there. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That word in rye that you see today on some, some pictures of Jesus on the cross. Listen, that means Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Jews said, take that down, he's not our king. Because no Jew would want their king on a cross. The Jews said that's a cursed place to be. So Jesus is saying, if you're ashamed of me and my message, you see, when they're going to see Jesus on the cross, and they're going to see him suffer, listen, they're either going to say one of two things, and you and I do that. When we hear about a suffering Jesus who died on the cross, it's either, my Lord, I don't want to follow Jesus and suffer. Hey? Or it's going to be, my Lord, I want to follow you, and I will suffer. There's a distinct between both of those statements. And he's telling them, you're going to have to make that choice. Oh no, I don't want to suffer this way, Jesus. Or, I will follow you. And if it means suffering, I will suffer for you. He goes on, he says, the Son of Man, look what he says. When he comes back, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. For the person who is ashamed of Jesus, and you know you are, when those people are pulling you, and listen, sometimes you'll fall, but you feel that struggle and you find those victories. If you're ashamed of Jesus, he's saying, listen, when he returns, you will not share in his glory. That doesn't mean you don't fail in your sin. Christians sin. But it means you are ashamed of him. You are ashamed of him. The pattern and the practices of this world are completely opposite to what Jesus is teaching at this point. It's completely the opposite. But I want to tell you this. Some people would say it's an impossibility. Jesus says, I want you to know, if you will seek to live your, live your life according to my kingdom, guidance, advice, you will find real life. Every Christian who makes that choice begins accruing for themselves, begins building up for themselves the advantage of real life. Every Christian who will 
face the world and accept the rejection and the ridicule that the world will offer for Jesus' sake. Now be careful. Some Christians just act like stupid clowns. I'm not talking about that. But if you face the ridicule and rejection of the world for Jesus' sake, you are building up for yourself the advantage of real life and you will see that, you will find that and your kids will know it. You see, Jesus knows who is ashamed of Him. And Jesus knows who isn't ashamed of Him. That's what He's trying to tell them. We have a question. Okay, then let's bow together for prayer and then we're done. Father, thank You for these words that You've given to us. And Father, help us to, to be able to recall them for a while. And God, if we look back to Your Word, that we will be able to recall them again and again as the years pass. Father, they're hard words. But when we start saying Jesus is Lord, then it means they become choices in life. We can't straddle a fence. But we must decide, well, we follow Him as Lord. Help us, Father. Help each one of us as we struggle with that. Father, help us to find your strength that comes from your Spirit and help us to see our small victories. God, help us to find real life in a world where people are only caught up with themselves and they're losing their lives. Help us to find real life. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.